Welcome to the Redeemed Vision Podcast, where we bring sight to the blind and freedom to those enslaved by our pornified culture. Here, we dive into hard but important topics, such as pornography, sexual identity, true freedom, real love, and living marriage well. Go deep with us as we uncover what Redeemed Vision means for each of us living in the world today. Come to know yourself, the power of redemption through Jesus Christ, the joy of laughter, and how to live in gratitude and wonder. This is Redeemed Vision. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Redeemed Vision podcast. I'm your host, Steve Bacorny, the founder of Freedom Coaching. It's an honor to have you here today. We're entering in and we're entering deeper into what this vision for life really looks like. Because if we look across the landscape of our culture, we know that things are not the way it's supposed to be, right? To paraphrase the prophet Stephen Tyler, right? There's something wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. There's things we can't recognize. We're seeing things in a different way and God knows it ain't his. Um, we're living on the edge in many in many ways, in many, many cases, with families, with marriages being torn asunder, people nervous about the economy, about health care, about their own health and various things. And all of these, we, we humbly propose, are the fact that we are not seeing reality in a way that is actually going to satisfy. So we're inviting you to begin to enter in deeply into revisiting, to question the reality that's presented in front of you. If there's any truth to the movie, The Matrix, the, the red pill and the blue pill, we invite you to take that red pill, to go deep down this rabbit hole where Jesus Christ wants to unveil to us the mystery of reality. And it's here that we're going to find joy, peace, and goodness. And to do so today, we want to introduce you to a great friend of the um, Redeem Vision podcast family of Freedom Coaching Father Thomas Loya, who's a Byzantine Catholic priest in Homer Glen, Illinois, at Annunciation Parish, who has a very uh, unique perspective in the fact that he's not just a man, he's not just a priest, but he's a genuine artist. And he's been an artist for many, many years. And I think today you're going to find something beautiful and very enlightening. And so, Father Thomas Loya, welcome to the Redeemed Vision podcast. Thank you. I, I'm glad you mentioned my name because I don't know who you were talking about there in that introduction. <laughs> I'll, I, I think uh, we need to honor those that we meet, right? And those that we speak with. And uh, I, the, what I say about you, and um, I truly mean um, you, you are an authentic uh, man, an authentic priest. And grateful for that. So I want to start off first here. A lot of um, a lot of those who uh, you know are familiar with Catholicism may not be familiar um, with you know Byzantine Catholicism. And, I, and for full full disclosure, I also am a Byzantine Catholic. So um, if you would give a, a little, just a little snapshot, a little little. Obviously, we can talk about that for many many podcasts. For those who are unfamiliar, how would you describe, you know, Byzantine uh, Byzantine Catholicism, the spirituality behind that? Okay, I'll take you through two thousand years of history in two minutes using my hands. Okay, okay, the Church 
developed along the same lines as civilization did, basically an Eastern approach and a Western approach. That's basically the fundamental orientations to life. You can divide them into an Eastern and a Western approach. So when the church developed, it developed along those same lines. It took on an Eastern character if it went to Eastern countries and cultures. It took on a Western character if it went to Western cultures. Same belief, but expressed differently. Kind of like man and woman, like a marriage. Man and woman different, but yet they're one. Like in a marriage. So I'm going to use my two hands. This is like the, the church. Okay. It's, so we say that John Paul II says it breathes with two lungs. The, uh, the, the, the east and, let's see, for your angle, let's see. I think that would be, <laughs> well, I'm going to say east and west. Okay. East and west. Yep. So they were together. Then in, 15, in, in the 1054 AD, the thousand years of this marriage, I'm going to call it a marriage. Thousand years, they had a divorce in 1054 AD, East and West split from each other. The East called itself the Orthodox churches. The West called itself the Roman Catholic church because it was centered in Rome. East had four centers. Fast forward 500 years. I'm going to take part of the East. My thumb represents part of the East. I'm going to reconnect it with the West, reunite it with Rome. Okay. That my thumb, that's what a Byzantine church is. That's what the Eastern Catholic churches are. They're those parts of the Orthodox church that reunited with Rome. So they're part of the Catholic Church now, reunited the way it was in the beginning. In the beginning, it was like this. Now it's like this with parts reunited. So the Catholic Church is like from my thumb to my to this hand. That's the Catholic Church yes. today, 20 in different ways. And basically, the Eastern approach, which is why I really take into John Paul II's Theology of the Body, it's very mystical. In other words, it's very much on the, the visible physical world, making present, revealing the invisible very Trinitarian-based, uh, emphasizing the mystical, and the two pillars of Byzantine spirituality are monasticism and liturgy. If you understand those two things, you understand our, our soul. So, so there's 21 different ways to be Catholic, actually. Most of them are in the East, you know, in this, this part here. Most of them are in the East. Uh, the largest one, of course, is a way of being Catholic is the Latin Rite. That's why most people associate the Roman Catholic Church, the Latin Rite, with Catholic. But it's actually only one way to be Catholic. It happens to be largest in most parts of the world. So that's my 2,000-year history. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I think within that whole perspective, bringing together, we can say with, with creation, creation, God came to marry us. That's what he wants. He wants union with us. When original sin comes in, there's been a fracturing. So a lot of fracturing we've seen that we're seeing in the church and the world today right. is that fracturing, right? Right. And that, that divorce there. And so, uh, Father, I, I, I don't know if you want to illuminate more on that on that fracture and what, what God has come to do for us. Well, there's only one mystery, the great mystery, there, that the invisible God, uncontainable, invisible, incomprehensible, ineffable God became visible. One way and one way only, through the physical. In other words, through his own physical creation that he himself set in place. That order of creation... He became that, became that creation while still remaining God. So he united the invisible with the visible. What was once invisible is now visible. And everything, everything comes from that one great mystery. How to, how to run a country, government, family, marriage, sexuality, education, landscaping, mathematics, art, no matter what you want to talk about, Everything in some way is a participation in that one mystery. 
And that's the whole secret to life. There's a blueprint. The blueprint for life is that we that there's an order that God created. That order unites heaven and earth. And if we follow that order, you have to first see it and follow it. Everything goes fine. Everything goes wonderful. And that order is what Catholic is. That's what the church is. It's not an institution. It's not a religion. It's not a bunch of teachings. It's simply about identifying that order creation and then living by it. it. It's twofold. It's a vision. It's how to see the invisible made visible and to live according to what we see. If you see God incarnate in everything, then that then determines how you should then relate to that thing. So we care for the environment, not because we're environmentalists and it's a trend or politically correct. We care for the human person, not because it's just some kind of law, but because we see God revealed. So everything has its own holiness, its own integrity. And so we approach it with a sense of holiness and integrity, no matter what it is, no matter what it is on earth, it, there's a, it, it participates in God. And as long as we see everything that way, everything, and live that way, everything goes wonderful. All the problems of our world come down to that one thing. We don't see the order creation. We don't see the invisible revealed in the, in the visible. And or we refuse to live according to that vision. We might see it, but choose not to live that way. So it's twofold. You got to see it and live according to that. And everything's fine. Everything you're saying is resonating, especially with me and especially with the mission that we have here at the Redeemed Vision Podcast, yeah. because so many people, Father, are blind. They Absolutely. are not being, right? We're, we're not being we're not being taught how to see, especially. And one of the things that you're, you're, you're hitting on profoundly is that sacramental worldview. And I think in, in many cases, when, you know, as, as the, as a church is taught in, in various degrees in many ways, that when the mystery of, of man gets eclipsed, the mystery of God gets eclipsed and vice versa. When we aren't seeing God, well, we aren't going to see man. And so the amount of confusion that's happening is profound. And I think one of the things that just to shift our conversation, one of the gifts, and especially where we want to, we want to move everything you've said here into discussion today is that of you have a great gift of, of being an artist, which is a, a very unique uh, element. You're not, not just that you're, you're, you're a priest, but also that you're a priest who's an, who's a genuine artist and also an iconographer. Right. So with that whole thing, right, um, how would you, with everything you're talking about, with learning how to see and, and the different facets of life, why would you, how, for a two-part two question, first, what is your definition of art and how does that fit into all those different facets of life? Okay. My, my definition of art would be this. It's the utilization or the harnessing of these principles of order and beauty that God has woven into his creation, his, his divine order. It, the, the harnessing of those principles to make visible the invisible God. In other words, art by its nature is transcendent. It, it points to, it puts us in touch with that which is most transcendent, with God. This is why movies film i'm talking all art you know visual art music look how music can move us look how a play a movie can move us to tears 
absolute tears at the heart of our being. How does that happen? How does a painting, a piece of art look at move us to tears? Or how do we see beauty in that inspiration of that in a song, a music, a poem? How is that? Because those things, this is what makes them art. They have harnessed these principles of beauty that God put there. It's like we, we sort of discovered the secrets of, that God wove into creation. And it, it, it harnesses those things in such a way as to put us in touch with the transcendent. In other words, that which is other, beautiful, great, uh, greater than we are, that, that uh, inspires and aspires us to that which is beyond us. That is what, how I define art. That is, that is beautiful. And, and, and within that piece, though, um, you mentioned a really important word, and that word is beauty. Beauty, right? Yes. And and in our in our world today, just give an example for for listeners. I remember years ago in the uh, I think it was the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art. They had an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and the so-called artist put elephant dung over that image, wow. and uh, the media fawned over it or whatever, uh, from what I recall. And that was, and, and the, the idea goes that if something is in a museum, it must be beautiful, right? So yes. I guess we would, I, I want to draw from here, A, uh, I'll throw a softball question. Is that really beauty? If it's not, why not? And, and how does that work with, within this definition of art, of your working definition of beauty? Right, that is not beauty. See, we, of, we often hear this claim that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Well, to an extent, but just like with um, conscience, you know, follow your conscience, your conscience has to be informed. You can't just follow your conscience uh, only. It has to be an informed conscience. It presumes an informed conscience. And same thing with beauty. Beauty presumes your, the beholder for it to really be seeing beauty. And yeah, it, it, it's in the eye of the beholder, but it presumes that the, that the beholder is seeing or is in touch with the principles of beauty. Not, in other words, just because somebody likes something or sees it beautiful doesn't mean that it really is. It be, that, that becomes too subjective. There is a subjective and an objective dimension to beauty. And beauty is the revelation of God. God is true, good, and beautiful. And going back to those principles, beauty has certain principles, certain things that make something beautiful that we look at and it, it it's pleasurable in a in a transcendent way not just pleasurable in a cheap way you know like porn or or you know slamming down a, a couple of shots of whiskey and getting drunk yeah that's pleasurable for a minute but it's not in a real way uh it, a real pleasure of the eye or the perception the senses brings us to that sense of transcendence of order of an inner peace and that's what makes something truly beautiful. So there are there are objective principles to beauty. There's a subjective dimension, but that subjective dimension has to be informed by the objective. So building upon that, Father Thomas, and we're speaking again with Father Thomas Loya of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish in Homer Glen, Illinois. How would you recommend in this world when we've replaced objective reality with mere preference? I prefer this thing over here. I feel that this is 
beautiful for me. If it's, it's uh, my, my way may not be your way. I'm okay. You're okay. Mm-hmm. Right. All that language there. How, how can we begin to cut through some of that nonsense to be able to, to get to kind of what is real art? What is beauty? How would you, how would you recommend uh, maybe a couple steps to begin that path for people? My suggestion is that we present what is authentic beauty. You know, Steve, if you're speaking to an audience, for example, and what that audience is made of, it could be a, just a bunch of absolute scoundrels, you know, no culture, they don't know what, you know, if you start- That's normal. Yeah. <laughs> if you start, if you start to, you break into a poem or you make a statement that's uh, beautifully, beautifully uh, said by uh, an orator, uh, someone from like you, 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 you uh, a poet, that, that audience, you'll grab their attention immediately. There'll be a stunned silence and they'll respond because no matter how much of a scoundrel they are, how anti whatever they are, they're still human. And in the human, the human person is hardwired to recognize real beauty and to respond to it. it and I'm sure you, you've probably experienced that. You know, you, you, you give a, a, a beautiful quote or poem, something like from Chesterton or from a great poet. And it just, people just like, you, you can see them just go like, uh, you know, catches them. Even if they're anti this, they don't like the, you know, they're, they're, they're just not receptive, but you can catch them because they still have a soul intuitively that soul is made to respond to beauty, real beauty. So we do that in everything, just like with the church teaching. You, if we, if we bring out the teaching of the church and you articulate that all those people who are, don't like the church teaching or are confused by it, you, you, you'll have chances of them being converted to it just by the sheer beauty and, and goodness and truthfulness of that teaching. So, so basically my solution is we've got to keep putting it out there. We've got to keep making and putting out there true, good, you know, good music, good art, uh, uh, doing everything with a sense of art and style. And everything, everything on earth can be, has an art to it. There's an art to doing anything. And it's amazing to watch somebody do the most menial thing, but they do it with an artistic flair in other words, what they're doing is they're recognizing and uh, approaching that task according to its own integrity. In fact, integrity is one of the elements of beauty from St. Thomas Aquinas, and it's true. Yeah. Everything has its own integrity. Did you ever watch, like go to a restaurant, like, like, a, like a good restaurant, you know? A, a, yes. And did you ever watch a waiter or waitress that really is into their job? I mean, yeah. how they treat you. I mean, you literally watch them. It's like an art to how they do things. And you can see that anywhere. The most menial task. There's an, there's an art to picking up garbage. There's an art to building a house. There's an art to being human. It, because the, it comes down to there's an integrity built into the essence of everything in creation. And, and plugging into that and presenting that is how we can change the world. Beauty does save us. As, as Dostoevsky would say, absolutely, yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and with what you're saying here, my, my, the synapses of my brain are kind of blowing up here a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. I, 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 one of the ideas that I oftentimes share with clients in freedom coaching is no one looks at a sunset 
and says, okay, thanks. No more of that. You can turn it off now. Or yeah. like just uh, a couple days ago, we had a full moon and went outside. My wife, my wife uh, heard it was going to be a pink moon and went outside. Like she's like scrambling for a camera, running outside. And she's out there just taking this in. And I go out there and I, I study her and I'm studying the moon. And I'm like, this is, this is wonderful. And I want to yeah. stay here and enter into this moment here. And I think where I, I, I didn't expect our conversation to go here, but I'm going to go here anyway, is uh, in our world, one, one of the things I've, I've learned and studying, or we've been learning and studying is our world is so filled with distraction Yes. in that in what it's doing is, is stealing our capacity for wonder. Right. In many yeah. cases, this idea of I've seen it all, right? I mean, there's something to be said for the book of Ecclesiastes, right? There's nothing new under the sun in a certain sense, right? But can you speak to that that element of, of wonder? Why is it so important? And, and especially, and, and then a, a, a follow-up question on that would be how, in a, in a world that seems to be stealing our wonder, how can we begin to, to get that back, to recover that? Well, it's two things. First of all, it's it's presenting things that are of a true higher nature in, in every phase of life, especially in, in the arts. And it's also somewhat cultivated. You have to point it out to people, especially like children. You have to be able to look at something. Steve, you ever uh, been with someone, maybe it's a teacher or whatever, or maybe you weren't that interested in what they were into, but boy, oh boy, they could make you love it because of yeah. their enthusiasm, because they would point out to you the, that hidden integrity, that hidden goodness and beauty of what they really loved. And you didn't see it, but now you see it because they see it and they have the ability to, to um, communicate that to you. And this is what we have to do with children. We have to bring them up on a, on a, on a spirituality of wonderment and gratitude, wonderment and gratitude. We have to teach them wonderment and therefore gratitude, a gift. The third one is gift. This is what I tell parents, the, the spirituality upon which you should raise children, gift, gratitude, and wonderment. In other words, mm. children should have that wonderment. Wow. What's the, the response? Oh, I'm thankful. I'm so thankful. I could see that. Therefore yes. that's called gift. That's what you live by. Those three principles. That's the sacramental worldview. Now, if you bring a, a child up on that, guess what? They're already for. They're set. They've already had their lifelong pre-cana. They're set to just walk serenely into sacramental marriage <laughs> or, or vocation. You know, you don't have to start teaching them how to see on a pre-cana weekend and hope it works when their their basic worldview is already secularized and non-sacramental. When you bring a child up like that, they are ready for vocation of marriage or or religious life or whatever that where they they have a sense of giftedness of of giving that gift of self. Because they see beauty and wonder in everything, they're grateful for it, and they know that it's about giving. They want to like give back, give back what they've been given. And this is the oh, spirituality we have to raise people on and make make you can do it with adults too, but to me, it's you, you gotta get the kids. And this is why nature, getting them out in nature and so on, letting kid, it, it's that's where the wonderment, one of the great places for wonderment for children is is. Getting them, getting them away from the video screens. You know, the kids, they, they're victims of uh, videophilia today. You know, they got nature deficit disorder. You got to get them outside. You know, we have a, in our, <coughs> excuse me, in our parish property with 10 acres, based on this whole vision of beauty and truth, we 
we uh, designed an environmental plan for our entire 10 acre property, which in which we restored the natural indigenous vegetation of the Midwestern part of the United States, you know, the prairie grasses and flowers and all that. And ever since we did that, make a long story short, we have literally, we have literally reached into the homes, the bedrooms of children and drawn them outside into nature. That, that wasn't going on before because they find things in nature happening there. They can see the flowers and the grasses. They're different. They're beautiful. They can see bees and butterflies and dragonflies and birds. They didn't see before, didn't know were there before because we took this sacramental view that you see in the church, in the liturgy, we took what's inside the church, the icons, the liturgy, that sacramental view, and just applied it to outside, to the environment. And it has literally changed the lives of children. We've literally reached into their homes and drawn them out from away from the video screens. Amazing. One thing uh, to, to, to add, if I could add anything to what you just shared, Father Thomas, is... Um, one of the things that we've found in our family, my, my wife is a huge proponent for nature and getting out in nature and going for walks. Uh, and one of the things that we like to do in our, in our, around our home is we have lots of caterpillars and all caterpillars oh, yeah. over time. If you give them enough space, um, they become butterflies. And so yeah. we raise butterflies. Oh, and, yeah. and one of my, one of the things my wife did last year during the, uh, the uh, pandemic, um, she, uh, she, we had one. She knew it was going to change. She stayed up all night. I went to bed. She's like, I get up. She's still there on the couch <laughs> waiting, watching uh, for this is wonderment. She's like, it's going to happen. I'm like, it's not going to happen for a couple hours. Oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Sure enough. Like oh, she's patiently, patiently there out. She was able to capture on video, which very few people are able to see unless you're natural, natural geographic, um, yeah. you know, videographer to see it live right there. And I was, I was privileged because of my wife to be able to capture that. And what that's done, um, and I think this is a message for all parents who are hearing of this, you know, how do we go and navigate, especially the pornified culture that is, is not real, to get our children into the real, right. the capturing of beauty here. Right. And so when, when, when my, now my children like love butterflies or obsessed with butterflies, right? And want to see that creation happen. So I love that fact. And I want to just one, take, take a little bit more of what you shared. Um, the, the line, uh, one of the first, M Father, do you, pop quiz, do you know what the first MTV video was? Oh, the first one. Steve, uh, Steve Motel, do you remember? Yeah, uh, video, video uh, killed the radio star. Hey, ding, 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 you got a fish. Awesome, there you go. So that notion of, uh, Father, did you know that? No. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> These are useless pieces, of, useless pieces of trivia to a very real degree. So video killed the, the radio star, moving on the fact that um, you know, they're moving into video and MTV. Now MTV doesn't even, I don't even know if they do hit music videos anymore. They just play a lot of the uh, proponents of the, the pornified culture. But the, the, the song, I think, speaks to the conversation that we're having in the fact that we're so much focused on the false video on screens that where those in previous history, in previous times, I think back to the 1940s or 30s, right? They, they had to listen to radio programs, right? The War of the Worlds, right? With uh, I'm I'm totally blanking on the uh, the um, the author of that for right now. People literally thought 
there's aliens invading the world. And it was so well done. They had to use their imagination, yeah. right? And, and I think with the, with the fact in, in what you do, especially in your role as an, as an artist, as a priest, as an iconographer, is to help people capture into the sense of wonderment and imagination. And, and people, when they think of imagination, they often think it's, it's false. No, what's in the sacramental, what goes beyond is more real than what's here, but it's not divorced from the physical world. Exactly, Stephen. Going back to your, one of your original questions here, that when you do that, when you show that to people, you present that, the, the, to answer your question about, and the question, of how do we get people beyond all this banality and the pornification porn, of it? It's in, in showing them that they then eventually prefer that over what is banal. They, they're, like the kids coming out of their homes, they did so because they didn't realize there was something more wow, more wonderment than their video games. But they found it in God's nature. I'm amazed. I watched these kids. I thought these kids are out here. They could be in their in their rooms, but they're out here. And I watched their, like as you said, their creativity. You know, they pick up sticks and things in the prairie in our property, and they start playing and pretending and doing things and building things. I said, "Bang! That's it. That's it. They 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 have found something that they prefer to their video games. You know, and and see that because why? Because they were what did what were they shown? They were shown an opportunity for wonderment, God's creation, and all the possibilities of imagination and discovery. And see, this is the key. This is why we have to present what is true, good, and beautiful in art, literature, and so on. Because once people start seeing that, especially children, they don't want the lesser thing. You know, like Christopher West, you know, they don't want to eat out of the dumpster once they have a fine meal, you know. They just don't know there's a fine meal. They think that dumpster eating or, you know, McDonald's hamburgers is eating. But you present to them what is greater, and human nature is going to gravitate towards that. And I think this uh, another way to, to to build on what you said um, is the what is not real, if we're honest, doesn't satisfy. But right. I think that so many people today aren't being honest. We're not being honest about ourselves. We're not being honest about our about the body, about sexuality, about life and love itself, and and and, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, a lot of the the modes of medium uh, of media that tend to um, tend to bring about the falsehood. Take just the instance, for instance, Instagram is a very popular social media site, and where people are posting posting selfies of themselves, and it looks like, or even family pictures, like everything's perfect here. But that's a snapshot in, in moment. Like literally, I, I mean, we've tried to put on a good face here at the Freedom Coaching uh, Freedom Coaching Podcast, right? We put on our pants. We think, I think I'm wearing pants today. And within this here, right? But but behind this, like, I'm probably going to have an argument with my wife. I'm probably going to have, like, my kids are going to be out of control, right? Things aren't going to be perfect. So how would we, in the midst of that, I don't know, in the midst of that mess, right? How do we bring beauty how do we bring that out in there? What, what are your thoughts there? You know, you just you just have to, we have to, first of all, we have to, because it's getting lost, we have to rediscover what classical beauty is, what real beauty is, and, and just start to make it part of our diet, part of our reality. It's kind of like the domestic church concept, you know, and, and expose people. I once had a a uh, friend of mine was very much into um, opera and, and great classical music. Uh, 
he was trying to teach his children that. So he got his daughter in the car one day. They were going to go to a, uh, an opera and she was kind of fussing about it. And he said to her, and this is what parents need to do. He said to her, okay, I don't care so much if you like it or not, but I'll be darned if you're going to be ignorant of it. I will expose you to this. And when you do, when it's, it's exposure to what is real in every aspect, it may take a while to cultivate that taste for a lot of people, Yes, but they've at least touched it. They've seen it. And, and, and little by little, this is how we can preserve it and turn things around. It's just like you said, Steve, the problem is it's being hidden. Like look, look at, you know, Antifa, BLM, all the, all the anarchists. What did they go after? What did the first thing they went after? First thing the communists went after? Imagery, classical statues and, and art. They went after that. Why? Because those are the things that put us in touch with the higher realities, which what, which what's the things that really make culture. And that is the arts and everything, everything that is approached in an artistic way. A relative of mine is a doctor. She says, medicine is not a science. It's an art. I said, exactly. Everything is an art in its own way. Then there's, of course, art itself. But this is why it's so important to present, I guess the word would be, you said the magic word, honesty, to be honest about what something is. Another word for that is integrity. You, you, you present, everything has its own integrity. In other words, it is what it is, as we say today. It has like an essence. And any time we plug into that essence, that integrity of that thing or event or person, that's what converts people because that's what's true, good, and beautiful. Everything has its own integrity from, from an animal to a car, to a tree, to a tool, to a human person. It is what it is, as they say, and there's the truth to that. And if we approach and present things and recognize the isness of it, that's how we convert people. That's how we start to change their vision or restore their vision. Uh, I, and I would, uh, on that whole notion of, uh, of tearing down of things, and I think this is when we have very little beauty in our life, right? It, we, that, that brings the soul down, right? Yeah. Uh, it's been well. said that beauty, beauty is useless. There's no function to beauty, but without beauty, the soul shrivels up and dies. Yeah. It, it raises our immune system. If for people want to talk in those terms, they're this pandemic days. It raises yeah. our immune system. Beauty does. It really does. You can you can mark you can actually measure that scientifically. Yeah, yeah. And actually, one on uh, and they're talking about the health health of we'll go use that term health of neighborhoods. I I, I remember this years ago for um, uh, I don't know where I've studied this. Um, if if storekeepers want to help to to keep crime low around their storefront, play classical music. Yeah, because. Yeah. It's very interesting, right? Because uh, many times, because a lot of the music that's formed today is not in touch with what's true, good, and beautiful. There are elements we we do see that, but a lot of the classical music, um, those those composers were formed by those principles, and they that's they just cool. bled it. They, they, they bled through their music. And then again, there's no defense for that. And so why? So if this store is bringing out beauty, a it's going to attract those people who are going to want to do it. But B, those who would, you know, uh, be ruffians or whatever, um, they're going to say, well, why do I want to uh, waste my time on that? Right? Yeah, exactly. So, because, you know, we are what we eat. And that includes mm -hmm. sound, like you said, music. 
if you take in great music, great art, you know, visuals, uh, take in great food, everything, you become that. You be, we are what we eat. Absolutely, absolutely. And I want to flip uh, one, one, a couple more final questions, and then uh, we'll break from our interview here. Um, how would you? Because everything we're talking about is could be perceived from the mere consumeristic uh, mindset, meaning. I need to watch good movies. I need to listen to good music. I need to see beautiful art. And all of that's really important, right? You, you can't, the old phrase goes, you can't give what you don't have. So we first have to receive that. We need to be formed in that. But at some point, right, if it's if it's come with that, that notion of the those three elements that we need to inculcate to our, or teach to our children of that of gift, we need to move from not just being a receiver and receptivity is really important, but then to a giver to respond to that gift. So for us who are uh, art novices in a certain sense, right? Or maybe as um, Wendell Berry um, uses, he's a, a evangelical or I think he's a Baptist actually, writer talk, talks about the, the art of the commonplace. How could, Father, from your perspective, especially as you work with a lot of families, individuals, how can we, and, and for the, the listeners of the Redeemed Vision podcast, can, can begin to become artists in our own life? How, what would be your thoughts on that? Okay, what, what you do, first of all, is sur surround yourself with good art uh, uh, and, and good, good music. And if you don't necessarily like or not interested in it, surround yourself with it. It'll start to permeate you'll start to it'll start to, to change it really will and also have an eye on when you look at everything and you ask yourself how am i doing this you know saint Teresa, the little flower she had that spirituality of the um the little way in other words that like a mindfulness in other words whatever it is you're doing do it with where you recognize there's a there's an inherent dignity in it and so how am I doing it? How are you doing the dishes? How are you cleaning even? How are you doing laundry? How are you doing music? How are you doing prayer? You know, from the loftiest things to what seems to the menial things, recognize, like open our eyes and recognize in them their own integrity, their own dignity. And, and you just do that everywhere in your life. Remember what you're doing. How am I sitting? How am I standing? How am I driving? You know, what, what is the essence of driving? What is the essence of, of sitting, of how to sit with my body? How am I doing it? Those, it's like self-awareness in everything where, where you see there is a, you know, in other words, like a proper way, a proper way to do this, the real way to do this. And because, meaning you're, you're doing it according to that word of honesty or integrity. You're approaching these things according to what they are and how they need to be approached. And, and that's how we become artists. And we always remember, too, we're always creating. We're kind of co-creating with God, looking at, at how we can be creative about everything. We should always be in search of creative solutions to things, creative ways to respond to the same thing. You know, we get angry about something, whatever. Is there a, a more creative way to respond to this? Is there a more creative way to, to come to a solution for this or to do this or that? You know, we don't reflect enough, Steve. We have to learn how to become much, much more reflective. In other words, conscious about what we're doing 
And is there a better way to do it? How are we doing it? Can we be more creative? Is there another way? This is especially true when it comes to relationships and anger. You know, there's an art to relationships, anger, relationships. I often, when I work with people on that, I always tell them, ask yourself this, is there any other way to respond or to perceive this situation? What that person said or didn't say, or what they're doing or not doing, you know, road rage, guy cuts you off, you know, we go into rage. Is there any way to creatively look at that situation? There's no other option for you. This guy just woke up that day just to cut you off and make and ruin your day. So you're going to go after him and be raging. There's no other way you can look at this. Be creative, you know, get loose in the mind, be creative, look at other options. And, and that's how you become really, uh, you approach life in all ways as artists. We really are by nature artists. We're co-creators with God, you know? So yes. that makes us artists, you know, in our own way. Um, so, so there's an art to everything. And we've always got to be in a perpetual state of trying to be creative. And it, and it makes life fascinating. It makes it fun, you know? We don't get bored. There is so much, uh, my mind is spinning here and I'm thinking about, I mentioned earlier about, you know, there might be an argument here. And I think with arguments in, in life, if you if you have two people in the same room, you're going to have three opinions, um, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, and here we have, what, five five people uh, here on uh, with this discussion here. So apparently there's 17 opinions here. So and, and I think coming along these lines is because is, we take the many times in, in relationships, we take the notion of my way or the highway. Instead of taking a step right. back, asking questions, getting a marriage coach that my wife and I have, have worked with, um, ask, um, get creative. Right. Are you, and I think along those lines, everything we talked about here, am I seeing the person? Do I have empathy for this person where they're coming from? And exactly. do I see how there can be not just one solution or two, maybe right. six or seven different solutions. Exactly. Right. That's the creative and, living. So um, I love it. I think it's beautiful. Father, thank you so much for sharing the, the, a, a tiny sliver of the, the beautiful heart and beautiful gift that you have and you are. Um, final question is where can people plug into your ministry with what you're doing, um, uh, especially online or any of those ways there? Um, I do uh, daily, six days a week, do daily Facebook uh, little reflections like this. Uh, they're only like two minutes long. They're very quick. I do them usually every, every morning live. And you just go to Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Facebook page, just our parish Facebook page. I'm on there. Also, Mike Mahomley's are on there. Also, I get a little bit of information on our, uh, I have a couple of radio shows, Light of the East, uh, and also, uh, which is carried on EW10 affiliates all over. Also, I have a radio show on RadioMaria.us, RadioMaria.us. I do a weekly show there too. And also our, our website, TaborLife at uh, TaborLife.org, TaborLife.org. In fact, speaking of that, I have to go now to an interview for uh, on EWTN for uh, <laughs> on the Mortal Life Show with Gregory and Lisa Popchak. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Father, we don't want to keep you from that. So thank you so much for offering uh, your gifts and talents here on here. Be assured of our prayers and from our uh, from our, our listeners for your ministry and thank everything you. that you do. Thank, for, thank you for your very, very fruitful and valuable ministry as well. It was an honor to be with you. God bless you. Thank you, Padre. God bless you.
So Father Thomas, thank you so much for, for sharing. And um, one new, obviously I have uh, the other, other members of the Freedom Coaching team here on the Redeemed Vision podcast. Um, what, what struck you here about um, what Father Thomas shared? I loved how he talked about we're all artists in this world and how we are co-creators with God. Uh, I, I admit that that's not something I've ever thought about you know, we come into this world, we kind of want to make our own mark, but we forget about why or who we're doing this for. So now going forward, I'm going to start looking at things in more, you know, more creative solutions to how to deal with, with problems and, and issues, but also to when I'm actually doing something as, as trivial as washing dishes or cleaning, that I'm going to start being more aware as an artist of how I can do it better. And that's definitely one big takeaway I got from from father here. Awesome. I love that too. And, and, and I, I, I was thinking how it applies, you know, to our relationships, you know, there's, there's tasks at hand that we can bring art artistry to, but um, how can we bring that to our relationships? You know, how can we, how can we love our, our spouses, our, our family, our kids, who our neighbors, our coworkers, you know, as artists um, that just to me sounds like something that we just, animate and give such more life to the relationship um you know father lawyer it's like it's like you just want to stop him every 10 seconds like oh my gosh did you hear what you just said it's like can we talk about that can we talk about you don't even know where to begin when he stops talking but mm-hmm. but um one thing that really resonated with it all resonated with me for sure but one thing one thing was the whole reality of um you know just this beautiful wonder and how um, how we don't know where or when, but somehow we we just tend to lose it as we grow up, and 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 um, and it's really sad. And then those of us who are blessed to have children kind of recaptured a little bit again through their eyes. Um, but I love what he said because that's been my approach to parenting too. Like, I don't care if you don't like it, you're going to be exposed to it. You know, you're going to see it, and 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 we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do this. And I just can't think- screaming. What's that? Kicking and screaming. Kicking and screaming, exactly. We might be both kicking and screaming, but we're still going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but but not losing, um, you know, just there's that beautiful praise and worship song, but just that whole, I really, of never losing the, not losing that wonder um, because the wonder is such a beautiful, tangible reminder of, of, of the artist, you know, the creator um, and how he's constantly singing to us and communicating to us. Mm-hmm. Um, if we just have the eyes to see and um, just a good reminder to, to make sure we have the eyes to see. I think that plays into like the whole two of, I think it was really important, the mentioning of, you know, how all these things of beauty we need to surround ourselves with because a lot of it, we aren't, we do live in this pornified culture and that's kind of what's flashed in our face all the time. And so we're, a lot of people aren't necessarily right away attracted to those things like oh I don't get it like I don't you know so it's a kind of an avoidance but you're not only like raising kids and being like you're going to be exposed to this <laughs> it's so important yeah. um, but even for ourselves you know as adults and as we're growing and being like you know there's a there's a phrase in Latin lex orandi lex credendi lex vivendi the way you pray the way you believe is the way you live so you have to form all those things around yourself and it does it ends up forming you even more so interiorly what you're doing what you're seeing you'll start drawing from that and we won't even like always notice it and then you'll start thinking more it just it's the music the you know the images like all of that and that starts to help you to see the world in that way um so i think really hitting home with that of like just start 
surrounding yourself with it, you know, start diving into it, bringing it into your life and start there. You don't have to understand everything at once, you know, just put, put it before yourself and then like, let it grow from there. Beautifully, beautifully said all of you. And, and I would add, you know, upon reflection and, and going, going deeper into what father Lois shared with us is uh, two thoughts. First, one of the things, one of the main mantras that we live by here at, at, you know, with Freedom Coaching and on the Redeemed Vision podcast is where your focus goes, your energy flows. So the pondering question for all of us is, what are you focusing on? And before that even is, what are you seeing? And even more, how are you seeing it, right? Because we can get caught into the notion of losing perspective that what's in our life here like maybe the house is a mess. Maybe maybe our life's a mess. Maybe we don't feel like we have it all together. And we have to remember that God is really present in that mess. God came into as a very poor infant, naked, cold, shivering in the night um, into our existence. And that God with us, that incarnation, he's still with us here in the midst of all this. And one other thought that Father Loya brought up is in, in, in that along those lines of intentionality, years ago, I had the privilege to go to a place called Medjugorje. Some might be familiar with there. It's uh, purported apparitions of Our Lady um, that are ha- have been happening since 1981. And I went to a place where literally this couple with a massive conversion moved from Canada, built a castle. Nancy and Patrick Lada, a literal physical castle. I was I was looking everywhere for the dragons. I didn't find any. Uh, they had scared our lady had scared them away or killed them. I'm not sure. But from this, um, she their whole ministry talking about giving beauty back and entering into creating art is this ministry of service to pilgrims. And they welcome hundreds of pilgrims in sometimes daily into the castle to minister to them, to feed them, uh, people who are working in the church to stay there oftentimes at no cost. And um, she, I was staying with them for a couple days and she was explaining how you set the table. Because many of us, right, we with set the table or things like that, we're in such a hurry, just, you know, get it on there. And she's, she literally was like, you don't come in there and she's taking the plates. She's like, these are like glass plates, fling them on the table. You're like, oh, I'll just put it on there. And there's the, there's the, the napkins and the forks and just put them down there. Right. And I'm afraid they're going to fall off the table there. Right. And she did that to, to demonstrate purpose said, no, those who come into your home, they're Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus is in every single person that you encounter coming into your most, most intimate space. And do we see them? Do we value them that way? Do we treat them this way? And I have to admit from my own life, I haven't, right? And I don't know about you. Uh, maybe you, maybe some of this here, I'm saying they're like, oh, that hurts a little bit. So I think it's, 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 and if we haven't treated that way, well, we have a merciful God. We, we seek his mercy. We ask for forgiveness. If you're Catholic, you go to confession. We repent of that. And his mercy is new every day. And then like what, especially, you know, Father Loya said and, and Mr. Mr. Steve Motel said about that intentionality, right? What are we doing with, with our life in those, in those different moments, especially the people that we're encountering? This is a, a significant part of the work of redeemed vision. And I think that's the, why it's a trouble for a lot of people 
is because it is work. It's difficult. It's a challenge. But I promise you, my brothers and sisters, this challenge, you are worthy of it. And as we enter more into grace, we are made more worthy of that, right? It's not on our own willpower. It's not anything we deserve. It is pure gift. But we're called to receive that and then give that gift to others. Thank you so much, Father Loya, for great insights into how we can see better. And as we discuss in each of the Redeemed Vision podcast episodes, we want to draw from some of the great sources that our church has to offer and the wisdom of the saints. And especially one of those great wisdom pieces is that of the, the John St. John Paul the Great's Theology of the Body. And so I'm going to turn this over to uh, the feminine genius of our team, Miss Leah Johani, who has our Theology of the Body Corner Moment. Thank you, Steve. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit from the audience um, from May 6th, 1981. It's uh, section 63, 6, and, and then pretty much into 7. So... The creation of the climate favorable to education and chastity contains these two components. It concerns, so to speak, a reciprocal circuit that takes place between the image and the act of seeing, between the ethos of the image and the ethos of seeing. Just as the creation of the image in the wide and differentiated sense of the term imposes on the author, artist, or reproducer obligations, not only of an aesthetic, but also of an ethical nature. So also looking understood in the same broad analogy imposes obligations on the recipient of the work. I'll um, piggyback on your reflection there. And I, I would be the first to say that I'm a master stick figure artist. I dare anyone to draw better stick figures than I do, right? And so I think with what Father Loy has shared and what, what we're seeing in this passage on, on um, theology of the body is that every single one of us is called to be an artist, right? Um, from from not just the way that we're we're seeing, but also to create art in whatever it may not be visual art, but the, just take for instance a mother in the home who is 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 literally educating the next generation. She's an artist, right? There's there's books we can read about raising children, but when when little Timmy is a two year old screaming their head off, right? the manuals go out of the, go out, go out the window in a certain sense. Right. And you have to meet that, meet that little person in that way. And this is where grace comes in. And then with encountering the individual persons, right. The question is not just how they're being presented, but also how are we seeing them there? And that in, in, and I think this, this takes a, a good bit of intentionality and which for you, the, the listener um, this may cause you to question, right? What am I listening to, and how am I listening to it? Right? What what am I what am I seeing, and how am I seeing that? Because if we're not being intentional here, anything can sway us in many ways um, down a path that we're not going to want to go. I just want to say, um, when we're when we create art as an artist, I'm I love to sing. I'm a musician, um, and I particularly enjoy singing for the liturgy and, you know, trying to help add to the beauty and the, that deeper sense of mystery in the, in the Holy liturgy. 
but when we when we look at art as a whole and you talk to artists um and especially if you read john paul's uh letter to artists he says that as an artist you take what has been created and god allows you to participate in that creation and that we take the what is here and we mold it in a certain way we we take the materials that god has created and um as an artisan uh we mold that into something beautiful so we take what is beautiful and the truths of god and his beauty that permeates the earth and we we the artist through our encounter with god create something that draws people further into the the, uh, into truth and beauty. Now, it's interesting because art now in the secular world has turned very selfish. You know, you ask an art, well, why do you like to sing? Why do you like to sculpt? Whatever it is you do. Oh, well, I want to express myself. When art really shouldn't be an expression of, of, of only self per se, but art is, and, and when we look at it, as this as god is the source the artist's expression of his or her relationship with god and that in and the it, through the gifts given so if i'm good at singing and composing music or whatever i'm gonna my encounter with god and perception of his world is what's going to come out in my music i'm not expressing myself there is an element of self-expression there in that everyone experiences god uniquely and individually but my art's going to come and bring people pointing to God and not to, oh, just my interpretation of everything. You know, it's not about me. It's about God and, and, and being that lens through which we, we let his beauty out through the talents that he gives us. So you're saying, Mr. Ricketts, that beauty is not in the eye of the beholder, right? To a degree... Yes, and this is just my opinion. We, if if we see truly, if we have a divine vision, then we're able to differentiate between true beauty and what isn't. So we need to be internally, spiritually right in order to properly understand and represent beauty. Absolutely, I love that. Absolutely. I, I threw you a softball, softball question there. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, it was great. No, I love that. And I, you know, Chris, when you were speaking, it, it makes me like to me. That's what defines art as "quote unquote" sacred art. Like it, sacred art to me doesn't have to necessarily be um, images of you know religiosity or saints. Or, that it, obviously it can be, but but if the artist and the art is truly reflecting the divine, making visible that which is invisible. That's what makes it sacred. And I think we have a real unfortunate dearth right now of, of sacred artists, because I think you're correct that it's, that's exactly what you hear. I wanted to, I had this, I wanted to express myself. I want, you know, and, um, and it's, and, and we're forgetting that we as artists and art itself is meant to point back to the divine point to the invisible realities. And I think that is what makes it makes it sacred. So fully agree with that. And, and I, I would really you know, love to, I, anytime I come across anybody who I, cause I don't, I don't believe I don't, this is not false humility. I don't have any artistic ability. Um, but when I come upon people who do music, whatever it might be, um, first of all, I'm always in awe of it because I don't have those gifts. Um, absolutely not. But I always encourage people to, you know, to consider, you know, doing like, like just, you know, dropping hints that we don't have enough sacred 
um, you know, art in that sense. And, and then maybe even giving them an opportunity to hear for the first time, perhaps what, what that really means and why it's so important and valuable and even critical uh, for us to have that and to receive that and encourage people to, you know, to, to move their, their, um, their talents in that direction um, and put them at the um, disposal of the Holy Spirit to, to create something that will draw others, others in, into relationship with him. You know, you reminded me by saying that, you know, saying, oh, I have no talent whatsoever. But that really reminded me of, of John Paul's, the, my absolute favorite quote from the letter to artists, where he says, not everyone can be an artist, but we're all called in a certain sense, and I'm paraphrasing here, to be an artist and craft our life into a work of art. You know, and we all can do that through striving for holiness and striving um, for for a deeper relationship with God, and that's and living our life so that it is pleasing to Him and and a work of art. That's just ah, oh, that gets me every time. Amen, and great reminder. Excellent, thank you. And two points just to to draw it here for the listener here that have been illuminated here is one, in order to be an artist and all of us in our different ways, right? You'll never, some of your, my artwork will never be in a gallery. Thank you. Uh, at least a, a famous gallery like the Uffizi or the, uh, the Louvre. Um, your wife won't even put that have, out of probably. Maybe. Maybe. So from this is first and foremost, we have to be formed as a spirit of prayer. Right. We've got to allow God to form us and let him direct that. And then the second thing is going back to the quote from Theology of the Body, 63.7, is it's that there's an ethical uh, responsibility. There's an obligation that what uh, that, that's put on us. It's imposed on us. And, and again, I, we don't like that language, right? Because you're imposing my freedom. Well, it's already there. It's kind of like jumping off a building. You're, you're going to be, gravity is going to be imposed upon you, whether you like it or not. Okay. Now I don't recommend jumping off a building unless you have a parachute and you are about, you know, 1400 feet in the air. But from this thing is when an image is presented to us, we have a duty. If it's an image of a person, especially an image, uh, we have a duty, an ethical obligation to see that person as a person, regardless of how they're being presented. And that also speaks to the nature that we must make sure that, you know, when we have a choice of what we're seeing to really bring beauty into our lives. And if it's not bringing the joy, it's the Marie Kondo view of, of art, right? If it's not bringing you joy, throw it out, right? If it's not truly joy and joy is connected always with the Holy Spirit, always with being guided through that. And once in my lifetime, having been an artist myself, I mean, I'm not no stick figure drawer, but I was more into the secular music. Hey! <laughs> and when you talk about, you know, the pornified images and the pornified culture, how we've been blinded, I think for me, having been heavily influenced with music, I, I suppose I can use the same analogy and say that I've been deaf for a long time. That even though this kind of music brought me joy at, at some point and maybe brought me joy for periods of time, it ultimately led me to a world of emptiness. So I was wondering if, if this, this art, this music that I was creating or performing was, was really what God wanted me to, to do. 
So it's only recently when I discovered uh, singing at the church, uh, being more involved with the liturgy, that something profoundly changed in me. And I thought that that was a more accurate portrayal of who I was as an artist versus the, the secular world that I was, I was sunk into. Well said, Mr. Chen. And the idea is, I would add it to the old phrase that goes, tell me the five people that you hang around with most and I'll tell you who you are. Tell me the five TV shows or movies you watch or you really love. I'll tell you, I'll tell you who you are. And then also what kind of music you listen to. These things have profound impact on us. So just as, as, as Mr. Chen and Mr. Ricketts have been sharing here, of how these elements, right? They're not just passive, they're going to impact us. And we like to say here in the Redeemed Vision podcast that beauty, um, there's no true genuine beauty. There's no defense against genuine beauty. We've said this before, take a sunset, right? That we don't, nobody says, all right, uh, I've seen enough. You can turn it off now. No, it, it overtakes us. Same thing can happen with music. So pay attention to, and yes, yes, art does evoke emotion. It should evoke emotion, but pay attention to what kind of emotions it's stirring up here. Because if it's leading us down a path of anger, of of selfishness, of lust, then it's stealing the joy that forms of art should be bringing us towards. And so this, again, brings us back to that ethical obligation to pay attention to how we're seeing it, how we're hearing it, all those different areas uh, in the art world. Um, So just reflecting on joy, um, I think in our day and age, we can often think of joy as just being, oh, I feel good. This makes me feel good. And that's how we can get caught in that trap of possibly looking at things or listening to things that we think, you know, are joyful. Oh, I'm happy when I, you know, do this or that. But um, realizing that, again, everything has a proper ordering. There's an ethical aspect to it. There's truth. And when we're, we are ordered, we are created by God to return to him, to seek him. And he is ultimate truth. He's ultimate love. He is that. So um, when we are seeking true joy, there has to be truth. There has to be proper ordering that all of those things have to be there. So again, just kind of in reflecting on all of these things, um, finding that joy it can be found even in, you know, looking at a sorrowful image of our Lord um, or listening to somber music, there still can be joy there, um, even though it doesn't like sound happy, um, but there's joy in sorrow. And that's another, I think, huge thing in our culture today. We, we don't see the importance of sorrow, but the joy in the sorrow, um, like the, the joy in the redemption of Christ and his suffering and his sacrifice, there is joy there. So just kind of reflection on that with everything. Now we want to move to a much more, shall we say, profound experience with Mr. Rickett. You know, back in the day of the big blockbuster action movie, there was that actor Chuck Norris. And he was really amazing unto himself. He could do so many different feats of impossible things. Did you know that he had even a role in Star Wars? All He was in every single Star Wars movie ever made. Did you know that? I didn't know that, Chris. Yeah, he was, he was the Force. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
it's an amazing thing too. He can he can set ants on fire with a magnifying glass at night. You know, it's it's he he caught all of the Pokemon with a landline. It's unbelievable. This guy, like, so it just it's nice to wax nostalgic every now and then, and remember those big t- time action heroes. And I do hear though that uh, uh, Chuck Norris uh, has never done a push up. He has only pushed the world down. That's a hundred percent true. <laughs> it's so deep. It's so very deep here. <laughs> and if we haven't lost you my dear brothers and sisters listen to this podcast Uh, we do like to get a little silly here at times um, I have heard that compared also they did a whole uh, lens for Jack Bauer from 24 many years ago so um, Mr. Ricketts you're bringing me down memory lane and I thank you for that Um, so what we want to do is actually I'm going to turn it over to uh, Mr. Motel I want you to lead us out here and share a little bit just um, of our moment of gratitude, something you're grateful for to share with our audience. Yeah, well, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, my whole family um, got hit with COVID. And, um, and I am so grateful that we are on the, uh, the back end of it and, and recovering. Um, you know, it's, it was a, a time of, uh, you know, just a lot of reflection and a lot of prayer. And, you know, as a man, um, AKA a wimp, a lot of moaning and whining about being sick, you know, um, you know, and, and, uh, but the Lord brought me through it and, and I, and there were a lot of beautiful, beautiful lessons. That's one thing, the older you get, the more, you know, that the Lord does not give you a cross, um, without having some fruit in mind that he wants to bear on the other end. So, so one of my prayers, whenever I experience something, even in the midst of my whining is Lord, don't let me miss what you're trying to do here. Don't let me miss it. And so, um, so I prayed that over and over and he was faithful and he's still, he's still teaching me um, a lot of lessons. So I'm grateful for, I can say now I'm grateful for the cross. I'm grateful that we came through it. I'm grateful for all the, um, the fruit that the Lord has and is bearing um, as a result of that for me and my family. I'm just grateful for the opportunity to do the work that I do um, and to be on this podcast, I'm grateful for the opportunity to uh, work with other people as they, you know, struggle with 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 a compulsion. And um, I'm just overall very grateful for for freedom coaching and 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 to be able to to be part of this podcast. Lately, I've been very grateful for just life itself. Just reminiscing back on on my life as I approach nearly my one year anniversary of being married, what life would have been like had I not gotten married. I can tell you is not heading in a very good direction, although it was improving the last few years. I, I would have felt a, a real genuine emptiness. I would not have learned all these new skills as being a married man, but also learned to be grateful of all the things that I've always had in place in my life that I may have taken for granted and want to cherish the time that I have with, with people like my mother who, who is getting up there in age, still doing very well, being healthy. But I should definitely heed my wife's advice and really spend more time with her and try to still be a servant to her as, as one of God's children as well. 
Um, I think in reflection, especially in the month of May, uh, dedicated to Mary, I'm very grateful for her fiat, but for mothers, for our my mother, for you know women who do join their fiat with our ladies in accepting motherhood and having children and all that comes with that. It's a beautiful vocation. Um, one I pray, you know, God blesses me with, but it's, you know, something I think that's really, really important and grateful for all the mothers that we have in our world. Awesome. Awesome. And for myself, uh, I'll build on that on the opposite side of motherhood is fatherhood. And I have a very, uh, two very precious daughters who uh, have taken on a love for the sport of baseball, playing softball, and my eldest is uh, tearing it up on the pitching scene and striking many, many batters out. And it's been very enjoyable to see that happen. So I'm grateful for that and be able to share that as a family uh, where my wife comes out and we all uh, we cheer them on and um, it's been a great, a great grace. So with that said, we wanna thank you again for joining us for the Redeem, Redeem Vision podcast. Um, and just to, to encourage you that to enter in and learn how to make life beautiful. Wherever you're at, whatever state of life you're in, go do that because this is what what beauty does. It brings joy and peace to the human heart and helps with the flourishing of life for others. So don't just run from the things we shouldn't be doing, but enter fully into life here. Live your freedom well. And on behalf of Chris Ricketts, Christopher Chen, Steve Motel, Leah Johanny, I'm Steve Picorni with the Redeem Vision Podcast and outreach of, of Freedom Coaching. And we look forward to seeing you next time. The Redeemed Vision Podcast is an outreach of Freedom Coaching. To learn more, check out freedom-coaching.net and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Movie.